From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Sitting in for Tony is Joseph Backholm, who serves as Family Research Council's Senior Fellow for Biblical Worldview and Strategic Engagement. Welcome to Washington Watch. My name is Joseph Backholm, and it is my privilege to be uh, guest hosting today for Tony Perkins, who is away from the chair. And we have a great program. We are so glad that you are with us today. You're not going to want to miss this. This is a particularly a good day for me to be doing this. We have a couple of authors uh, who have written some really important work who also happen to be just great people. Um, we're going to start off the program today by talking with uh, Rod Dreher and his new book, Live Not By Lies, which I have read and enjoyed and commend to you. At the second half of the program, we are going to be talking with Daryl Strawberry and any of you who care about baseball. Uh, you will know that name as well. Uh, not only a uh, tremendously gifted and talented and successful baseball player, but really a story of redemption as his life uh, kind of fell into all sorts of struggles. But Jesus found him and redeemed him, and he has spent the second half of his life uh more successfully even than the first half of his life, telling people about Jesus doing things that will really live forever. So stay tuned throughout the program for that. Uh, one reminder before we get to these awesome guests, as we approach the end of this long year, we know that monumental battles are on the horizon in 2021, and you can be a partner with FRC to make a difference. When you give before December 31st, your gift will be doubled, thanks to a million-dollar matching challenge. We hope that you will help us defend life, biblical views on marriage, and the free exercise of our faith. To do so, please call one 800 225 or visit TonyPerkins.com. Again, the phone number is 800-225-4008 or visit TonyPerkins.com right now to donate. Thank you so much for doing so. Now, when most people think of totalitarianism, they think of it as something imposed by an all-powerful government, like communism. But according to our first guest, American conservative senior editor Rod Dreher, that model is outdated. In his latest book, Live Not By Lies, Rod explains how the totalitarianism facing us today is based less on overt violence and more on psychological manipulation. His research took him to former Soviet and Eastern Bloc nations to talk to communist dissidents about what it means to resist. And here to talk about his book and what we can learn from their experience, author, blogger, senior editor at the American conservative, Rod Dreher. Rod, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for being with us. Oh, thanks for having me on. You're right, man. It is so important that Christians understand how to read the signs of the times and adjust our our strategy to face the, the threats that are really there, not the threats that we would, we prefer to think are there, but the threats that are actually there. That's exactly right, and that's what we, you know, that's what we're always trying to equip people to do um, as 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 Christian thinkers trying to navigate the culture. Tell me what motivated you to write this book, "Live Not by Lies." I got a phone call from an American doctor five years ago, whose mother. Uh, as an immigrant to this country from Czechoslovakia, she was quite old, and she was telling him, son, the things I'm seeing happen in America today remind me of what things were like in my home country, Czechoslovakia, when communism came. Now, this she wasn't just an ordinary immigrant. This lady back in the 1950s had spent four years in prison for her Christian faith. 
And uh, the fact that she was seeing these things happen really alarmed her son, and he wanted to tell somebody. So I made it my business over the next few years as I would travel for my work around the U.S., if I would meet somebody who grew up in the Soviet Union or in one of the captive states of Eastern Europe, I would ask them, are the things you're seeing in this country, does it remind you of communism? Every single one of them said, yes, absolutely. And if you talk to them long enough, they would be really angry that Americans don't take them seriously. Now, the main things they're seeing are the slow but steady erosion of free speech and religious liberty, the idea that you have to be afraid uh, that what you say uh, might cost you your livelihood, cost you your status, and they believe eventually it will cost us our freedom. Well, that's a it's an important point that you're getting at there and something you talk about extensively in your book. What is the distinction that you see and you make between totalitarianism as we have typically understood it and what you refer to as soft totalitarianism? Right, because you know, so many of us, especially if you're my age, I'm 53, I grew up in the tail end of the Cold War, we think of totalitarianism as something that the Soviet Union had. Uh, it, it involved secret police. It involves gulags. It involves uh, total police state repression. Uh, but that's not exactly what we're going to be dealing with. It's not going to be Stalinism 2.0. Most basically, a totalitarian state is a state or a society in which every aspect of life is politicized. It can exist in a liberal democracy like we have. So how does it manifest itself? It manifests itself in speech codes. It manifests itself in cancel culture. Uh, just last night, I'm talking to you from Texas. I spoke to a man who was very high up in Silicon Valley, and he said that everybody who works in the tech industry, if you are a Christian or if you are any kind of conservative, you had better keep it to yourself or you're going to lose your job and your career will be over. This is happening in the United States of America, the land of the free, and so far it's completely legal. This is the kind of softer version of totalitarianism that Christians have to be aware of. It can happen even in a free society, a superficially free society. A quote from your book that makes that point. You say, the old totalitarianism conquered societies through fear of pain. The new one will conquer primarily through manipulating people's love of pleasure and fear of discomfort. How is it that uh, th there are different pressure points being used against the church now, and, and, and how, how should we respond to that? What do we need to be preparing for? Well, the, the thing that we're struggling with now is, uh, as I mentioned earlier, cancel culture, the idea that if you dissent from progressivism, from wokeness, as we call it, that you could lose your job, you'll be cast out of your church, possibly, you will, your friends will leave you behind. Uh, this is something that happened in the communist countries. And there are, are people like Christians going into law and into medicine who have to, realize, have to learn how to suppress their consciences if they're going to have a career. The problem with this is, at what point do you live by so many lies that you forget to stand up for the truth? You forget what the truth really is. What I was told by these Christian dissidents who grew up under hard totalitarianism is that Christians have got to be prepared to suffer, to lose our friends, to lose our jobs, even to lose our freedom, and God forbid, our lives for the sake of the gospel. 
They say that uh, Americans aren't ready for this because we've had so much freedom and so much prosperity for so long, we can't imagine it coming here. But in fact, it is. I, I tell a story in the book, Joe, about this young woman, about 30 years old. She was my translator in Budapest in Hungary, and she grew up after the fall of communism. But she said, you know, I, I'm married, I have a little boy, but whenever I talk to my friends here who are Christians about the struggles I'm dealing with in my marriage, ordinary struggles, the first thing they say is, oh, leave your husband, put your kid in daycare, go back to work. you got to be happy. She said that they don't understand that uh, struggle and suffering is part of life. I'm happy being a wife. I'm happy being a mom. But they are so given over to the idea that any anxiety, any suffering is bad. And no matter what covenants you have to break to get rid of the anxiety, you should do it. This is a, the way of soft totalitarianism. Well, we do know that uh, Jesus came to give us life and give us life abundantly. And we hear a lot of people on TV reminding us of that. Um, what What's the conflict? Why should we not expect that uh, when we give our lives to Jesus, things are going to get easier? Well, how did things end up for Jesus? He ended up on a cross. We shouldn't expect anything but the cross in our lives. If we don't have any big crosses in our lives, and God has blessed us especially, but what if he blesses us with the cross? The great Alexander Solzhenitsyn, one, probably the, the best-known dissident from the communist era, he wrote the Gulag Archipelago exposing the truth about the Soviet prison camp system. In that uh, memoir, which won the Nobel Prize, uh, Solzhenitsyn said, Bless you, prison. How could he say, Bless you, prison? It was in prison that he came to understand what it means to be a man and that he came to know Jesus Christ. Uh, it could well be that the Lord is using suffering to deepen our own conversion and to prepare us to be better witnesses to other people. This is the thing I heard over and over again, talking to people in those countries, Christians who had been to jail. Some of them said it was the happiest moment of their life because they all they had to rely on was Christ. And it enabled them to deepen their, their commitment to him and to witness to other prisoners. And that suffering, learning how to accept suffering without letting it conquer you, without letting it embitter your heart, proved to be uh, uh, life lessons that they used for the rest of their life when they got out of prison to evangelize. That is a really powerful story. And I, and I dare say that the only thing that that God uses to make us more like Jesus is pain <laughs> because our comfort never refines us. It never makes us more like him. What should the church, what should the church be doing right now to begin to prepare people to suffer well and to, and to flourish despite suffering? Yeah. Well, the first thing we need to do is to start building prayer groups and networks of prayer groups so we can help each other through the hard times to come. I dedicate my book to a Catholic priest named Father Toslav Kolakovich, even though I'm not Catholic myself. Father Kolakovich was uh, a priest in Croatia in the 1940s, and in 1943 he was doing anti-Nazi work uh, with the underground there. He got a tip that the Gestapo was coming for him, so he sneaked out of the country, went to his mother's home country, Slovakia, uh, adopted her last name, Kolakovich, and began teaching at a Catholic university there. He told his students, the good news is the Germans are going to lose this war. The bad news is the communists are going to be ruling us when it's over, and the first thing they're going to do is start persecuting Christians. We've got to get ready for that. 
So Father Kolakovich formed prayer groups, and they would come together not only to pray and study Scripture, but to study the culture around them and figure out what does Christ call us to do amid persecution. They formed networks throughout the country. The Catholic bishops at the time warned Kolakovich, you're scaring people, you're being alarmist. But Father Kolakovich didn't listen because he understood the mindset of the communists. So sure enough, when the Iron Curtain fell in Czechoslovakia, they kicked Kolakovich out, and the first thing they did was come after the churches. The networks that Father Kolakovich set up in freedom, and what turned out to be the last years of freedom, they became the backbone of the underground church and the only resistance to communism for the next 40 years. I say that we are in a Kolakovich moment right now in the U.S., and Christians— Protestant, evangelical, Catholic, Orthodox, we have got to come together, read the signs of the times, and figure out how we are going to establish these networks of resistance right now while we have the freedom to do so. My guess is that there are people that you are talking to who are also accusing you of scaring people and being an alarmist. We got about 40 seconds before the break, but what kind of a response are you getting from the church as you talk about this? You know, it's interesting. Uh, A lot of people do say I'm an alarmist, but there are other people who say, yes, I've seen this too, or yes, I know somebody who goes to our church who grew up under communism. They're seeing the same thing. What can we do to prepare ourselves? For those who have ears to hear, I'm out there trying to get the message of these former Christian dissidents out into the world to help the church prepare. We are talking to Rod Dreher about his book, Live Not By Lies. We're going to come back after the break and talk a little bit more social justice and other things. Stay with us. Hey, Matt. Hey, Hannah. What's going on? Why so gloomy? Well, I'm a little disappointed. I had a lot planned to do during the stay-at-home time, and I just didn't do it. Oh, yeah? What did you have planned that you didn't get to do? Well, I was actually hoping I would finally be able to get time to do a regular Bible reading routine, and I started a couple of times. I just didn't stick with it. Don't be too down on yourself. Starting a new routine can be hard, but one way to help is to join in with others and to have a good game plan. I think I have a good solution for you. Oh, yeah? Tony Perkins and FRC are doing a two-year study in the Word. They have it all mapped out. When did they start? I I would be so far behind. Oh, that's not a problem. You can literally jump in any time. There's a daily reading just a couple of chapters a day with questions to help you think about what you're reading. Nice. Where can I find this? Go to frc.org slash Bible, and you can get started. Where's that again? frc.org slash Bible. Got it. Checking it out now. In a recent poll... It was revealed that only 6% of Americans hold a biblical worldview. This research also indicated that Christianity's teachings on abortion, marriage, and homosexuality are not only misunderstood, but seen as dangerous and subversive. In response to this trend, Family Research Council has released a new set of resources in our Biblical Worldview series. In addition to our full publications, which cover the topics of Christian political engagement, abortion, religious liberty, and human sexuality, FRC now offers helpful summaries of each publication in this series, as well as accompanying prayer guides to help you and your family pray through these important issues. And finally, our popular biblical principles for political engagement is now available in Spanish. All these resources are free and available at frc.org slash worldview. 
Again, that's frc.org slash worldview. Masculinity in America has never been under attack the way it is today. We've reached the point where the term itself is considered toxic or offensive to many. The consistent message in our nation is that masculinity by nature is bad and is the root cause of many of the problems plaguing our society. From his experience as a military combat officer and ordained minister of the gospel, Lieutenant General William Boykin has seen and dealt with firsthand the breakdown of leadership in our nation by the lack of godly men living lives of biblical purpose. In his latest book, Man to Man, Rediscovering Masculinity in a Challenging World, he addresses the essential elements of manhood as a provider, an instructor, a defender, a battle buddy, and a chaplain, and explains how to personally develop these traits and pass them to the next generation. Get your copy today of Man to Man, wherever books are sold. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Joseph Backholm, sitting in for Tony Perkins today, and we are speaking with Rod Dreher, who is the senior editor at the American Conservative and the author of a great new book, Live Not By Lies. I highly commend it to you. I know uh, friends who are doing this uh, in their book clubs, they're reading through this together. It's, a, it's an important book for the church today. And Rod, um, we've been talking about the difference between soft totalitarianism and hard totalitarianism. Uh, part of this is all connected to this, this larger idea that we're discussing of social justice and critical race theory and, and intersectionality, all of these things. How do you see the difference between the way the church thinks about social justice historically, especially in the Catholic context, they've used that phrase, and the way the culture thinks about social justice today. Traditional Christian uh, way of seeing things, a socially just society is one that is godly, and when individuals, where individuals have a better opportunity to become the men and women that God made them to be. There could be no such thing as a socially just society when biblical truths are violated structurally in that society. But I think broadly speaking, you know, we we think about what it means to be just, it depends on what it is to be a human being. Now, this is where the, this is the core of the difference between Christian ideas of social justice and the social justice warriors. Uh, Christians see each individual as uh, a distinct child of God, and justice is not going to look exactly the same for each individual, you know, but we have to take into take their individuality into account as we figure out what is just. But the social justice warriors, they only see people as bearers of identity, of race or of sexual orientation, gender identity, and they see justice as something that applies not to individuals, but to groups. This is exactly how the Bolsheviks saw it in Russia. Uh, right after the Russian Revolution in 1918, Lenin decided to do a uh, purging of the countryside to wipe out any opposition to the communists. Uh, he, one of his secret policemen told the agents, when you go out into the field, don't find individuals and say, did you oppose the revolution, etc." Look and see what their social class is. And if they belong to the wrong social class, the middle class, for example, shoot them. Those who are working class, they're good. Leave them alone. That, he said, is the essence of the Red Terror. So when we have our social justice warriors 
blaming white, male, heterosexual Christians as the focus of evil and saying people of color, uh, gays, genderqueer, etc., those are the good people. This is straight out of the Bolshevik playbook, and it is going to lead to incredible cruelty and destruction if we don't stop it. And significantly, it is antithetical to a Christian worldview because it does not allow us to see people as God sees us, which is all created in his image, but all broken and all in need of redemption. And that's why Christians need to be able to think clearly through this malaise because there's there's hints of, of truth in there and the fact that God does hate oppression and he does not want us to be oppressors. But more importantly than that, he wants us to see ourselves and others as he sees us and social justice forbids that. Alexander Solzhenitsyn said one of the things he learned in prison was that the line between good and evil runs right down the middle of every human heart. It doesn't run between social classes, and uh, following on him, it doesn't run between races. It runs down the middle of every human heart. And uh, any system of social justice that denies that individuality cannot help but be unjust. That's a really great point. And you, you talk also in your book about the importance of family and specific families and, and how they thrived and how the, they parented and how they raised their families in the midst of this. Uh, what lessons can American families today learn from those families? Yeah, in my book, the second half of my book, it's taken up mostly by actual real-life stories from people, from Christians in that world. And One of the most important ones came from the Benda family in Prague. They were the only Christians in the top circle of dissidents. They raised six kids through communism, even when the patriarch, Václav, had to go to prison for four years for his anti-government activities. I asked the mother, she's now quite old and the grandmother of a big brood, I asked Camilla, uh, Camilla, what did you do with your children during that time to make sure they not only didn't fall for communism, but that they held on to their Christian faith? One of the most important things she did, she told me, was to read to her kids for at least two hours every day. I said, what did you read to them? She said, well, I read to them the classics. I read to them myths. She read to them the sort of things that they weren't getting in the government schools. She told me, I also read to them a lot of Tolkien. I said, Tolkien? Why Tolkien? She looked at me and said, because we knew that Mordor was real. Her point there is that her kids couldn't understand communist theory. They couldn't grapple with the big ideas that were being contested, but they did understand what it meant to be Frodo. They did understand the fellowship of the ring. And this, by by filling her children's moral imaginations with stories about the good, the true, and the beautiful, she gave them the inner tools in their consciences and in their hearts and minds to be able to build a character of resistance. This is something that's so difficult for us to learn, but we had better learn it. It's not enough to to teach our kids what's wrong with the world. We also have to give them the insight about what it means to live in truth, goodness, and beauty. And reading to your kids every night was a way to do it. One final question. We've got about a minute left here. You related to this, you talk about the idea and the importance of cultural memory. Why is that so important to what you're talking about? Because the communists and all totalitarian societies, they mold people and manipulate people uh, by erasing their cultural memory. By cultural memory, I mean the things that all of us together uh, remember about our history and our past and our traditions as simply by being part of a culture. Well, this is happening to us today. 
our in our schools we're seeing the social justice warriors the woke destroy teaching about american history make uh villains of our heroes if we let them get away with that we're going to forget who we are and we're going to be putty in their hands so we're part in my family of the classical christian school movement i thank god for it because it is preparing kids to be resistors simply because it's teaching them what it means to be American and what it means to be bearers of the culture of Western civilization, which was formed by Christianity. Roger Ayer, author of Live Not By Lies, thank you so much for joining us. I commend it to you. Coming out after the break, we're going to talk with author and baseball player Daryl Strawberry about his new book. Stay with us. You don't want to miss it. Since the 1973 Roe v. Wade Supreme Court decision, Congress and many states have taken various actions to stop taxpayer dollars from funding abortions or the abortion industry. As early as 1976, Congressman Henry Hyde led the effort to ban federal funding for abortions. The federal Hyde Amendment, named after him, established the principle that abortion is not health care and therefore taxpayers should not be forced to fund abortions. Despite these efforts, the abortion industry still receives millions of dollars each year in taxpayer money. In 2019, Planned Parenthood, America's largest abortion provider, received $616.8 million in government funds. Family Research Council's newly updated pro-life map tracks how your state has taken action to stop taxpayer funding of abortions. Go to frc.org slash pro-life maps to see where your state stands in the fight for life. That's frc.org slash prolifemaps. Oh, man. What's wrong? I just missed Washington Watch with Tony Perkins, and our congressman was going to be on the show today. Oh, that's not a big deal. What do you mean? Well, you can always catch the replay of the day's show. How's that? With the Stand Firm app. Yeah? Yep, you can catch that day's program and so much more. You can contact your elected officials on campaigns and policies that are important to you with the Take Action tab. You can listen to Washington Watch with Tony Perkins live and play previous episodes while conveniently going about your day. You can access the Washington Update, informative blogs, tweets, and critical campaigns on the main feed so you can stay up to date on local and national news. Wow, I definitely use that. How do you find the app? Just visit frc.org slash app and download or search Stand Firm in the App Store. Okay, that's Stand Firm. Yep, Stand Firm. How do you know all this? Because I'm a SageCon, but that's another story. Huh? Welcome back to Washington Watch. Joseph Backholm sitting in for Tony Perkins. And a reminder, you can find this program and every program at TonyPerkins.com. At your convenience, you can also find Tony, if you're on Parlor or Twitter, at, at T Perkins. And a reminder, as we approach the end of this year, we know that monumental battles are looming on the horizon in 2021. 
you can partner with FRC to make a difference. And when you give before December 31st, your gift will have double the impact thanks to a million-dollar matching challenge. And will you help us defend life, biblical values on marriage, and the free exercise of our faith? To do so, and we hope you will, call 800-225-4008 or visit TonyPerkins.com right now. Again, the number is 800-225-4008 or visit TonyPerkins.com right now to donate. Now, my next guest, this is a real pleasure for me, is a baseball legend. His many accomplishments in the major leagues include four World Series titles, eight All-Star Game appearances over a 17-year career, and a nomination to the National Baseball Hall of Fame in 2004. But as great as his successes were in his career, Daryl Strawberry's personal life was plagued with addictions, abuse, divorces, jail time, and other issues. Thankfully, however... And that's why he's here. He found true redemption and restoration in Jesus. And as he shares in his forthcoming book, which is coming out January 21st of 2021, God transformed his life. And he says God can also turn your season around for good and for his glory. The book is called Turn Your Season Around, How God Transforms Your Life. And here to talk about it is Daryl Strawberry. Daryl, so glad to have you on the show today. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Well, it is my pleasure and and our honor. And I want to get into your book and your story, but um, if you will indulge me, I actually have some baseball questions for you uh, because this is as a, uh, you know, those of us who are just kind of political nerds and and we're forced to talk about politics all the time. um, This is a real honor to kind of, there's a, you're a crossover artist, so to speak, between the, the gospel and other things that we care about. And so, if you don't mind, I actually I actually crowdsourced some questions from some friends of mine who uh, grew up in the eighties and nineties and and admired you uh, like I did. Who was the most difficult pitcher you faced in your career? Well, the most difficult pitcher I faced in my career was probably Nolan Ryan. Uh, Nolan Ryan was old school. He was different. He didn't let you dig in. You needed to get in the box before he put one under your chin. So he just kind of played that old school baseball a different way than, you know, the 80s baseballs were playing. I think he came up a little bit in the early 70s, you know, where they knocked guys down, you know, and that that was that was different. Well, I, I know that a lot of people would have that same answer, um, and he uh, is certainly a legend in his own right. Um, one other question for you on this. Um, what is something, in one of your, your contemporaries as a player, what is something that someone else was able to do that you wish was part of your game? Uh, I think just uh, pretty much live a different life. I mean, I saw Gary Carter. Uh, he was a... Great ball player, Hall of Fame, but he lived a totally different life. He lived a life of faith. You know, as far as the ability and anything like that, I don't think there was nothing that I couldn't do that everybody else could do. But I, I think the living part is watching Gary Carter and Mookie Wilson on my team uh, really inspired me when I was young and, and looking at their life and looking at the way they took care of themselves and they didn't hang out, they didn't drink, they didn't party. Um, I wish I could have been more like those guys because I would have been more stable inside of myself. 
Well, that's actually a really good point. And, and talk to me about uh, he, the number one overall pick in the Major League Baseball draft. A lot of expectations. You come into baseball at a young age, a lot of fame, everything that comes with that. As a, you know, now that you are older and you can reflect back on this, how do you feel about the way that these, the, the people you were playing with lived their lives and the kind of examples and who was influencing you in the right way and who was not influencing you in the right way? And how does that impact how you engage with young people today? Well, it impacted me tremendously uh, because, like I said, I watched those guys and, you know, they just lived a real faithful life. They didn't, they wasn't preachers of people or anything like that. They didn't condemn us. They just lived their life according to who they were and their faith and everything. And they played baseball at the highest level, and, and it could be done. I, I think we need to really educate our younger people and embrace our younger people and tell them there there's more than just playing the game. There's more than just fame and fortune, because at the end of the day, it, it, it's all meaningless at the end of the day, because you're going to die, and where are you going? And I think Gary Carter was a prime example for that. He went home to be with the Lord, but he was a Christian, you know, from the start of his career. From what I understand, he came in the major leagues at 21, and he served Christ the whole time. And that's remarkable when you could do that. You don't find too many players that stay on the course uh, of their faith, you know, in sports, period. You know, you find guys, you hear guys talk about their faith, but do they actually live it out their entire career? And he was one of those particular persons that just lived it out his entire career. Daryl, we got 30 seconds before we go to a break, but is it still painful for you to talk about your struggles and what life was like before you gave your life to Jesus? Not at all. It's a part of my journey. It's a part of uh, God's rescue, redeem, and restore me that will be able to help somebody else. And I think it's important that you use your message, you know, for that God gave you from your mess to a message to help somebody else uh, come to the place of finding God so they can get well too. We are talking to Daryl Strawberry about his book, Turn Your Season Around, How God Transforms Your Life. We're going to have more right after the break. Come on back. Get a trusted perspective on the news of the day every day. Listen to Washington Watch with Tony Perkins to get honest and in-depth commentary on what's going on in our nation's capital and around the world. Join Family Research Council President Tony Perkins live every weekday on over 800 radio stations across the country. Or listen to the show when it works for you by visiting TonyPerkins.com. On the show, you'll hear from guests like Ben Carson, Senator Josh Hawley, Representative Vicki Hartzler, Molly Hemingway, Pastor Jack Hibbs, Dana Lash, Sissy Graham Lynch, Pastor John MacArthur, Eric Metaxas, Albert Moeller, and more. Tony is joined by leading political figures, pastors, and policy and culture experts who will inspire you to be engaged and informed on the important issues facing America. For a Christian perspective on the news of the day, tune in to Washington Watch with Tony Perkins at TonyPerkins.com. Are you looking to grow closer in your relationship with Jesus Christ and in your knowledge of God's Word? Family Research Council has a three-part series titled, Three Ways to Read the Bible. This series shares helpful ways to be encouraged and directed by God's truth by observing the text of the Bible and applying it to your life. There is no better time than now to get to know God through His Word by looking into the Bible to see what it says about itself, 
God, and humanity. There's no better time than now to begin devoting time to the Lord and to seek out His meaning for you. This blog series is a great primer on opening your eyes and heart to Him through the Bible amid the toils and troubles of today. Check out this helpful resource and learn how to read the Bible with not just your eyes, but with your heart and mind as well. To learn more, visit frcblog.com slash ways to read. That's frcblog.com slash ways to read. What's on your daily or weekly reading list? Are you looking for honest and informative commentary from fellow believers on the current issues facing our culture? Family Research Council has just the thing. Check out FRC's blog at frcblog.com. The content on our blog is written by our policy experts as well as outside contributors. On our blog, you can read about a wide variety of topics, including religious liberty, life, marriage, family, sexuality, public policy, and the culture. Read up on some of our latest titles like Four Disturbing Trends in Religious Freedom Worldwide, Legitimizing Looting Jeopardizes Liberty for All, The Media Still Doesn't Get It, Conservatives Tend to Vote Conservative, and more. At Family Research Council, our mission is to advance faith, family, and freedom in the culture by helping you live out your faith and to stand for truth. Our blog is here to help you do that. Stay informed and get the resources you need at frcblog.com. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas everywhere you go. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I am Joseph Backholm sitting in for Tony Perkins. And if you're just now tuning in, I'm talking with legendary baseball player and best-selling author Daryl Strawberry. Shares about his forthcoming book, How Christ is po- Victory in Christ is Possible. Whether life has been had you soaring or slumping, winning or losing. And his book is called Turn Your Season Around, How God Transformed Your Your Life. And Daryl, right before the break, you were talking about kind of the, the different examples that you had in your life when you got into Major League Baseball um, and, and how that impacted you and kind of what you wish you had but you didn't have. Tell us about the moment uh, that God turned your life, that he got your heart, that you started to see differently, think differently, and behave differently. Well, I think it was, you know, after all the troubles I went through, all the struggles, and of course, uh, my life has been public, known and everything, so everybody got a chance to see me fall. And, you know, kind of the media were, was laughing and saying, well, you know, he'll be dead. And, and I guess they were right. The old me did die, and, and I was resurrected with Christ because when I was at the down at the bottom of in the pit, God found me in the pit and put me in the pulpit. So, you know, the qualifications of who God is is far greater than any man or anybody else. And I think people don't recognize that. It's not until you come to the place of being persistent and surrendering your life to him. And I think I finally got to that place, you know, through my wife, Tracy, who was the guiding point of leading me back to the Lord. And I, I'm so, so thankful for her love for me when I was a mess. And she kept chasing after me with her godly love to pull me back and lead me back into church. And, you know, having God sitting me for seven years uh, to be discipled and, and going through that process and growing, um, it wasn't an overnight miracle. And then he would transform me and then he would call me to preach the gospel, which I've never been to school, not qualified. But, you know, God said no one is qualified. He qualifies the call. And, and here it is. You know, I, I sit here today. 
and I'm the evangelist who travels the country 250 times out of the year preaching the gospel and, and helping people and doing what I truly love doing uh, is winning souls. I mean, winning baseball games were great, uh, and, and that lasts for only a certain period, but winning souls are eternal. It lasts forever. So I'm thankful for God's grace. And, you know, he says, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. So when I was weak, he was strong. His strength was made perfect in me. And my wife is a pillow, uh, and my mother is a pillow of who I am today because they prayed for me and prayed that God would knock me off my throne and change me, and he did. And th- that is such an encouraging message, I think, not only for people who find themselves in a dark place, but for people who love people who find themselves in a dark place. And to hear you talk about your wife and, and your mother and the people who just continue to intercede and pray on your behalf, um, and I think that is an encouraging testimony that sometimes it takes time. But God uh, is hears our prayers, and, and He responds. Um, tell us now. I mean, you you hinted a little bit at the, the ministry, the traveling, you preaching the gospel. Who are you talking to? What are, what are you most passionate about? Who are you reaching out to in your ministry as you travel around telling your story? Well, I'm most passionate with with everybody, you know, because you have a lot of folks who've been sitting in church that still have hasn't had victory uh, because they know. Of Jesus' name, but they deny his power. And so many, you know, so many people sit and don't really have that personal relationship. And I think, you know, the call upon my life is far greater than anything that I've ever received uh, to be able to preach the gospel. I mean, just to tell people that Christ is the answer. Uh, I think we are just like the scribes and the Pharisees uh, as people. Uh, we don't know who he is. They didn't know who he was hanging on the cross. You know, and we're just like that, too, as people here. We're just a different generation of people, and the Bible talks about it clearly, how my people perish because of lack of knowledge. There's no knowledge and understanding of God, and I think a lot of people don't. uh, They go to church, but they don't know Jesus. They don't know he's the Messiah. They don't know he's here. They don't know that his return will be one day, and the judgment will be coming to earth, and that will be you know, it, you know, and I think people don't see that. They just don't believe it. They just believe what they see from an earthly standpoint. And that's why I'm so glad that I picked up the Bible for myself and started reading and studying it for myself. And, and God started revealing it to me supernaturally to the power of the Holy Spirit. And, you know, here it is now. I get to go into all types of places. I go to massive churches to preach, and I go into all kind of uh, different facilities with people struggling with addiction because I've overcome addiction uh, through the grace of God. And I go into maximum security prisons to preach to men that are broken and lost. And, you know, I just think it's a f- phenomenal place to be in your life when you finally surrender yourself to Christ and let God show you who you really are. We are talking with Daryl Strawberry about his book that's coming out January 21st. Uh, it's called Turn Your Season Around, How God Transforms Your Life. And Daryl, you, you mentioned a moment ago kind of the public nature of your life and therefore the public nature of your, your fall and then your rise. At what how how much of your your surrender was was it made more difficult because of how many people saw this? How did you process through kind of the embarrassment and the shame of of embarrassing yourself and 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 not meeting expectations that you had for yourself and other people had for you? At what point were you able to let that go? 
Well, I was able to let go of that when I entered in with Christ because Christ is the answer to all things. Uh, he's the deliverer, the healer to all things. He heals every wound, uh, every broken heart, uh, every sadness that you may have. And I think people don't recognize that. That's why so many people look at me and say, wow, this guy lives such an abundant life today. Yeah, abundant life has nothing to do with stuff. It has to do with peace, joy, wisdom, knowledge, power, you know, because that comes from Christ, you know, and that's that's my hope that people would experience that. And the book comes out January 12th, not 2021st, January 12th. Oh, 12th, okay. Uh, so, yeah, so we're right around the corner from it. And then hopefully it just have a tremendous impact on people's lives so they can meet Christ just like I did and see what God will do in their life. God has a plan for all of us. He created all of us, and he has this plan to use us and utilize every broken piece of us to bring about to help somebody else. So I think when we all understand that none of us are perfect, we're all sinners, and when one is pointing fingers at somebody else, three fingers are pointing back at them. So God eventually ends up with the laugh at the end of the day because he's the one that restores you to wholeness and bring you to a greater place. Where I sit today is because of the grace of God, and it has nothing great to do about me. I just finally surrendered, but it's just wonderful grace. You know, I've, I've been in a Florida State prison with T17169. I've had cancer twice and lost my left kidney in my second surgery, drug addiction, publicly written off. But God has elevated me into a place to be able to stand and travel this nation now and speak life from the Bible, not from me, but from his word. And I think that's pretty incredible. It is incredible. And I think your story uh, can be encouraging to so many of us because you talked about the fact that there are people within the church who are, are kind of playing the game, but they are not living. They have not fully surrendered. They have not embraced uh, what God has for them and letting go of the things that are holding them back. And honestly, I think a lot of that has to do with shame and this idea that we all want to have a pretense and and, the, and the, create the appearance that everything is, is fine when it's not. And we don't want to walk through the embarrassment and shame of acknowledging that we're broken people and we really need uh, we're, we're not sufficient of our, on, on our own. And isn't processing through that a big part of the journey that we have to enter into what God has for us? It is a big part of the process of entering into the journey because once you enter into it, then you no longer see yourself what, what others may see you like. You see yourself clean because Jesus has cleansed you and his blood, what people don't understand him hanging on that cross, uh, shedding his blood, that blood that came off of that man, Jesus Christ, is clean. There's no sin in it. He's holy. He's righteous. So what happens? He re His blood comes and it purifies you, liberates you, redeems you, and brings you to wholeness and righteousness. And then you don't have to worry about the past. People are talking about my past, what people are saying. But y'all talking about his past, but look at him today, what he has done, what God is doing in his life. And that's what they're going to remember. They're, going to, they're never going to remember the start of you. They're going to remember the finished product of you and the end. And that's what God is crazy about. God is crazy about the end part of your life of how he can use you before you get out of here and cross over and enter into heaven forever. Amen to that, because God wants 
ultimately to give to get the glory for himself and that should be our desire as well and when god does things that we can't do on our own that's when he's getting the glory for the story now in your book uh, you go over nine faith-filled responses that produce life-changing results in the lives of christians uh tease one or two of those for us what what are those faith-filled responses that produce the results in your life and can do so for others as well well i think they 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 have to you have to come to a place where you have to be very disciplined in in who you are and i think you're going to have to come from among the worldly things the worldly conversations i think people get consumed with so many of of the earthly things you know the news uh social media and all these different things they get locked into that and they don't get they don't come to a place where they're disciplined enough and they're spending you know, the real quality time with God. I mean, I, I get up and I'm, you know, I'm faithful to God. I, I, I worship him. I turn on my worship music. I thank him, you know, every day for his grace and mercy. And, you know, it's not a perfect day that you're looking for. Every day is not going to be a joyful day, but you still rise up with, with doing what you know is best, you know, and that's, that's spending the time with God. And I think so many people walk out of their door uh, never with a thought of, of worshiping God or thinking about God and thinking about thinking about the everyday pressures. Yeah, everybody's got the everyday pressures, but you know, I I find myself not being consumed with the earthly things no more and being focused on the kingdom of God more than anything. Now, we all know that even when you enter into victory with Christ, it doesn't mean that. Temptation goes away. It doesn't mean that the struggles go away. It doesn't mean that everything is easy every day. And you've just hinted at that. You made an appearance. Uh, you were on The Celebrity Apprentice. Can you tell us about the sacrifice you made during your time on that show and why you think it's so important to keep watch for temptation? Yeah, it's just definitely important that you watch for temptations. You know, and I made a sacrifice to go on it. And at the time, my wife didn't like the idea, but I went on it because I was, I was, really a close friend to the president Trump and in close friends to some people that worked in his organization. They asked me to come on and I thought it was a good idea. And I enjoyed myself for the moment of doing things, but that behind the scene was just a little bit more crazy for me because it was a more, a little bit more, you know, foul language and a little bit more drinking on the back ends. And I just thought, well, this is not for me. I, I don't really need to uh, be around this. And I kind of removed myself and pulled myself out of it. And like a lot of people was like, you know, looking at me like, are you serious? I was like, but they didn't really know that my faith was more important. I knew by watching other guys, like I said earlier, Mookie Wilson and Gary Carter, how they didn't compromise and their faith was the most important thing. So I had to remember the importance of my faith so I wouldn't allow myself to be tempted. Because if you put yourself in temptation situations and you go out there and you continue to go out there and be involved in it, you're going to eventually commit to it and you know i I, you're not you're human you know it's just the way it is but if you safeguard yourself and you don't put yourself around those type of situations then you have done the right thing and then today most of the time in my life i safeguard my life because my life is important for my wife and my kids and and who we stand for and what we believe in you know, I think a lot of people would hear that story, even within the church, and say, well, that's kind of legalistic. Um, how are you supposed to, you know, reach the world if you remove yourself from the situations where people are just kind of living in sin? What would your response be to that argument? 
Well, they would need to go to Romans 12, too, and it says, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I think they don't understand what that scripture means. It, 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 it means you have been, don't be conformed to it. You don't conform to it. Yes, you you can go to places and, and you can minister to people and love people and don't condemn people, but you don't conform, you don't get conformed into what they are in. You remove yourself from that kind of stuff. So I think that's the problem with most people in the church. They don't know the Bible and they don't understand. It's not that you can't go around people who are lost and who are sinners because Jesus went around them, but I say you do not get conformed to it. You do not indulge in all that. We got, I think, one more question for you here. And if you could go back in time and consult with 18-year-old Daryl Strawberry, and there are going to be young people today who are in that situation, who are dealing with the, the struggles of temptation and, and fame and success and expectations, what would your advice be to your younger self? Listen to your mother. I should have listened to my mama. She told me right. She was a Christian woman. She didn't harp over it, but she told me to live according to the biblical principles and not the worldly standards. So if you listen to your mother and don't be hard-headed like me, you will save yourself a lot of headaches. I tell my kids this all the time. I wish I would have listened to my mother. My mother was a loving woman who loved and cared for five kids and raised all five of us right. I made a decision to be a heathen womanizer, alcoholic, drug addict. I wish I would have listened to her. Listen to your mother, kids. They do not steer you wrong. Daryl Strawberry, author of Turn Your Season Around, How God Transformed Your Life. It's coming out January 12th. Make sure to get it. Daryl, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for your testimony. Thank you for your service to the church. Thank you. I appreciate you. Thanks for having me. And folks, that's a wrap for today. Thank you so much for joining us. I hope you've been encouraged by this story. Wherever you are, God sees you and you are not beyond his reach. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is powered by the Family Research Council and is entirely listener supported. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234. 